Welcome along to episode 762 of The Mill Bar. Jason Forrest here with you as ever. And coming up on the show this week, Professor Alice Roberts joins us looking at life, death and disease in the Middle Ages and beyond. The third of her trilogy of books, Crypt, is out and she's gone on a tour across the UK, stopping off at Birmingham Town Hall to let us know all about that and tell the tales of these terrible times. We'll be joined by Tony Blackburn talking about the gas safe register and how important it is to make sure that the engineer who works on the gas appliances in your home is part of it. We'll be having with Christian Lavacum, all about being riffraff in the Rocky Horror Show, which is the grand in February, and James Matteo Salt lets us know about his role in Bonnie and Clyde, which is once again at the grand this time in March. That's all on the way on the show this week. Welcome to the milk bar. 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 Now with the Rocky Horror Show reappearing at the Grand Theatre from the 6th through to the 10th of February, there's somebody who is often on tour with this show. In fact, I think it's his reason to be. Christian Navakum joins me now. Hello, sir. Hello. Multiple roles, amazing performances, and a, a love for the show that I don't think can be surpassed, can it? I don't think so. I think you, you, I've been in the show now, well, a very long time, but I, I've done over 2,500 performances. So, I mean, you've got to love it to do that many. <laughs> Absolutely. It's more than just paying the bills, isn't it, when you're riffraff? Yeah, it's really become a big part of my life, and uh, I do love it. And, uh, you know, I c- can't remember a time without it. I mean, the, with the uh, the likes of your social media, there are antics that uh, 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 surround the show, and you, you seem to enjoy sharing that too. Yeah, well, you know, the big thing with Rocky Horror that makes it different from any other show out there and any other show that I've been involved with is the audience. And uh, I've never seen such a dedicated audience that's get into it so much. You know, they come along dressed up, they know the call-outs, and uh, when people get dressed up and come along, really uh they've committed themselves so they've committed themselves <laughs> to having a good time and no one's going to uh, come along and just be a wallflower when you're dressed in uh high heels and suspenders uh so you know they make it really fun for us but I, this is an interesting show because it's one of those where you can walk out of stage door and most of the time no one will know it's you no, because I've been in the show such a long time now and you know most of the audience are repeat offenders then um they do recognize me now but if you've never seen the show before and i come out then uh i would be pretty anonymous because thankfully i look nothing like riffraff in real life well i hope i don't <laughs> but you it's the the, the the ears are there but that's about it i think so uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's a show though which uh yeah with the, the the way the audience interact and the the fact that it will be different every night it you know, you've done more than two and a half thousand performances but each one a different show yeah each one is different and each one takes us by surprise like you know we can have a you know a matinee audience that's the wildest audience we've ever had and then we can have an evening performance um, which is really uh, a bit more chilled and uh, because it's up to the audience of how wild that gets, we really have no control over that. 
and um, it makes it interesting and different and fun. You, you never want it to be exactly the same when you go into work every day. You want new challenges and you want it to be a bit different and new, exciting things to happen. And with Rocky Horror, you can guarantee that it does. But I mean, your you know, profile lists a great load of other shows as well. I mean, you, you're not shy in coming forward to perform some lead roles. I mean, the likes of Frankie Valley and the Jersey Boys, you know, the, the the vocal range on that is somewhat different to, to what you get to perform, but still with the power and the passion that you need for, for Rocky. Yeah, it is. Riff Raff is not an easy thing for me. And I don't think it's an easy thing for anyone, I don't think. Well, not anyone I've met. But um, so, you know, I do have to... Uh, you know, as a, as a singer, you have to treat yourself a little bit like a like an athlete, as if you're about to run on a race. And, uh, you know, you're not going to go out the night before, you're not going to do this, you're not going to do that, so that you can give it your best. Um, because, you know, you want to be your best when you've got a thousand people staring at you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, these days, yeah, people, um, when I do a role, often they'll, I'll end up singing a role, which is, you know, really challenging. And, uh, you know, it makes it, um, it well, it gives you goals as an actor. You know, you you want to be able to sort of, you know, with any job, I guess, you want to sort of go up the rungs of the ladder and give yourself new goals and uh, to hit and uh, riffraff uh, ticks those for me every day, really. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's never become easy. It's never become easy. It's always something I uh, have to strive for. But one that, yeah, but in doing so, that makes it more of a show for absolutely everyone. And so you you wouldn't have it any other way. If you if you weren't doing that, you probably wouldn't want to be there. And we know you want to be there. But you get to work with different narrators quite regularly as well. So uh, what's that been like over your time in the show? Well, you know, the narrators with Rocky Horror, they have a bit more freedom than the rest of us. You know, we've got to stick to the script. But, uh, you know, they get to, and we get yelled at from the audience. But, you know, they're the one one character in the show that can talk back to the audience and uh it's really fascinating because they have so much control over how the show can feel and um they are different all the time and i i really love it because you know that changes it up for me as well and quite often when the narrators are on i'll, I'll be uh watching from side stage just to see what they do and how they handle it and uh uh, I have done it myself before. I have done the narrator uh, uh, for a little section. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. It's very different. And uh, it's almost a little bit like being a stand-up comic. And, uh, you know, that's no easy feat. Absolutely not. And so you've got to carry that audience with you and make sure that you get to the right point so the cast can do their thing as well. Because without the cue line, it's it's it's, it's a no-show. <laughs> it's true. They have, maybe they have too much control. I'm not sure. <laughs> it makes it fun either way and uh it, it, it's a, it will work out uh for the best whatever happens i think that's that's one thing it, it, the, the rocky horror show it knows whatever happens on that night it kind of stays on that night it does indeed yeah like we say it's different every night with the tour at the minute you must be enjoying being out on the road and uh, again when you're visiting a, a town or city do you feel you kind of change it a little bit with the magic of the rocky horror show well do you know for me it does change every, the theatre does change every week and it actually changes literally with the theatre because, you know, one of the pleasures for myself as an actor is to go to all these different towns and all these different cities and perform in uh, these beautiful theatres. And, uh, you know, the uh, theatre in Wolverhampton, the Wolverhampton Grand is um, 
it's glorious. It's very beautiful. And I'm obsessed by theatres. So it's one of the privileges for me. And uh, yeah, this tour has been a long one. We've been on the road now pretty much since uh, for the last three years. And I, I'm not sure if we've come through Wolverhampton in that time. I don't think so. Not since pan the pandemic, I don't think. I'm sure no. we were, because we did a Facebook Live pre-pandemic and uh, yes. you were part of that, as I recall. So, uh... Yes, and we have been all over the place. So I'm really excited to get back to Wolverhampton because it's been a while. I have been there a few times, but um, it feels like ages. And I'm definitely ready to come back and see that theatre. We're looking forward to seeing you in it. The 6th through to the 10th of February is the Rocky Horror Show at Wolverhampton's Grand. Grandtheatre.co.uk to get your tickets or 01902 the box office number. It will be an absolute treat. Have an amazing time. Uh, break a leg and we look forward to seeing you do your thing as Riff Raff on stage at the Grand once more. Oh, thank you so much. I can't wait. <laughs> Bonnie and Clyde opens at Wolverhampton's Grand Theatre on the 5th of March, runs right the way through to the 9th. And we've got the fellow Wolf Roonian as part of the cast, James Mateo Salt, who's with me now. Hello, sir. Hello, how are you? I'm all right. Long time no see and, and good to see you on a national tour. Oh, absolutely. I'm very, very excited. Very excited. OK, so tell us a, a bit about your part of Bonnie and Clyde, because I believe you're a lawman. I am. I'm, I'm playing Sheriff Schmid. So, yeah, one, one of the, the lawmen that goes after them. And it's obviously an exciting tale, and it must be good for telling a story, which everyone's kind of got a hint of, kind of knows the ending, so there are spoilers in most uh, popular <laughs> culture. But uh, still, it's it's a, a massive romp along the way. It really is. I mean, it's one of them where, you know, like you say, lots of people know the story. We all kind of, we've all heard how it how it kind of ends. But the 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 show that obviously that, that we're doing you real get an, get an insight into like their actual lives and like what was the real impetus behind them doing things so it you know we've we've all seen the film and we hear we hear bits about it but this is just a little bit different a little bit a little bit more focused on them i'd say so what format does the show itself take we start off the opening number we've, we've got you know them kind of as they were a little bit younger before they meet and then it's kind of the story of how they fall in love and kind of that obsession with each other, um, with a few of us lawmen to chase them along the, along the way, <laughs> keeping them on their toes. So, but yeah, I mean, a, a singing sheriff. Now, this is a thought. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But yeah, you'll you'll be seeing me. I mean, mine's definitely more of a uh, the acting side of things. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm always on their tail. So. Uh, be good fun. <laughs> but I, I love the fact there's a number of you double up as part of the ensemble as well. So we'll see you in all sorts of roles as we go through the the story. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, there's there's quite a few of us in the cast that are filling up those those uh, those parts alongside. So yeah. Now it, this in itself, I mean, it, it's won awards and this is you know doing great things, and it must be nice being part of something which is sort of brand new as as it comes around on tour. I mean, no one in Wolverhampton who's only yet been in Wolverhampton will have seen this before. Absolutely not. I mean, it, it started a few years ago, you know, they were bringing the story over here. It hadn't been done before. And then this production, I mean, it was in the West End last year, um, the start of last year, and did extremely well. People loved it. The critics loved it. And then, like you say, to be able to take this on tour and not only bring this, obviously, home to to Wolves and, and Birmingham, but like even just taking it around the country. I mean, it's a story and it's an, it's music that people need to hear. It's so exciting. It's such a, 
a full score that's, you know, something different, but also kind of brings in a lot of modern styles, things like that. I think it, I think it's something that's going to be really powerful to see and, and, to, and to watch. Yeah, because I mean, the behind the scenes team are award nominees and award winners. And then you've got a, a, an amazing cast who are going to be there, yeah, absolutely giving your all. And you've got some uh, big names off the telly to deal with as well. So that's going to be good fun. Absolutely. I mean, we've got obviously Catherine Tilsley. She's going to be incredible as Blanche. Um, and then Danny Hatchard as well, who joins us on later. But I mean, the entire cast, I mean, I actually haven't started rehearsals yet. We don't start until for a week and a bit. Um, but I mean, just from the stuff I've seen them in myself, um, it's really exciting. I mean, I'm actually doing it with a guy that I did a, a show with before, Callum, who is great. So, yeah, I mean, the the level of the cast, I'm, you know, I'm just so excited about getting into that rehearsal room and getting stuck in. Yeah, because, I mean, we, we're used to seeing you on stage in Wolverhampton, so we know how good you are. Uh, Dogfight was one of the ones that was particularly good, I think, as I recall. But, oh, so, yeah, love that show. And, and yeah, it, it is... Uh, it's about telling a story and when you're telling a story with songs as well I, I think that just sort of it brings it home more to the audience and it again shows off more talent because you've not only got to be able to act it's the singing and the moving that go with it and uh, I, 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 you, you're yeah, really lined up well for this and who knows where it's going to take you next well that's that's the that's the hope I mean to be honest I, I mean like you said dogfight there this is that was a story you know as a story itself that's something that you know it's not just your classic stand clap have a good time there's a bit of grit into it and that's the same with Bonnie and Clyde all of these stories that have got a little bit of something extra those are the ones I really want to be a part of and you know it, it, like I say it gives you something to get your teeth stuck into a bit more um but yeah we'll we'll see I'm just more I'm just so excited about this one uh it's going to be so exciting well, judging by your Facebook timeline your family is excited as well oh can't wait can't <laughs> wait Fam and obviously Friends and that that I did shows with, they've already got in contact and said they're coming. And it's just lovely to have, isn't it? I mean, see some familiar faces in that crowd, I'm sure. Yeah, but maybe welcome you home uh, in a big way. Great to see you on stage. It's going to be awesome. And it's, a, it's just such an exciting new musical to actually have on tour as well. And I think that's going to be uh, a, a, another huge draw for people uh, across Wolverhampton to come along and see Bonnie and Clyde at the Grand Theatre between the 5th and the 9th of March. 01902 429212 is the box office number. GrandTheatre.co.uk to grab your tickets. And you can come and see one of our own, James Taylor Salt, as part of the cast of what is an absolutely awesome show. Break Alexa, we look forward to seeing you in uniform and it's uh, again and it should be a, a, another amazing one to, to enjoy your work on stage. Thank you so much, mate. Thank you so much. Now, Professor Alice Roberts is not only promoting her new book, Chris, but heading out across the UK to tell us all about it too. She's in Birmingham on the 26th of February, and she's here now to let us know more about what's actually happening. Hello to you. Hello, Jason. Lovely to lovely to speak to you. I'm very excited about this. I've just literally got the first copies of Crypt that have rolled off the presses, uh, and it will be out at the end of February. Which is something to look forward to. This is the final instalment of a highly acclaimed trilogy of books which explore life, death and disease in the Middle Ages and beyond. Now, not all fun, it seems, from that description, but actually there's probably some intriguing human stories in there that will be a bit of a giggle as well as the serious stuff. Yeah, I mean, it is serious. It is death and disease, but uh, there are humorous stories in there as well. Um, I always find that. It's interesting, isn't it, with both anatomy and archaeology 
um there is always humor there too that's that's very human it's the third in a trilogy actually so i've already written ancestors which is about prehistory buried which was stories of romans anglo-saxons and vikings so this is the final installment moving us into the middle ages um and very much focusing on yeah death and disease and there was a lot of disease in the middle ages yeah, and uh, it, I suppose at some point, uh, actual doctors that are uh, doctors as we think of them today start to kick in. But certainly in the Middle Ages, uh, there was a lot of quacks around still. Yeah, there were. I mean, it's it's very tricky because there are doctors who are trying to be scientific, but they just, I mean, really, they just don't have the tools. So they don't have microscopes yet. So they don't know what is actually causing infectious diseases. They, they have no idea of germ theory. They don't know about bacteria and viruses. So they're kind of working in the dark going, how do we stop this thing spreading? And they understand that you can stop something spreading if you isolate people who are infected. They understand if you cover your face, that might help as well. So there's there are, there's there's things that they've worked out through trial and error. But unfortunately, what they don't have, of course, is anything in the way of treatment. So they try treatment, but there's nothing that works. When it comes down to the likes of leprosy, syphilis and, and plague, really cures for these things uh, have only started to come along in what the recent living memory and in some cases. Yeah, I mean, we're basically talking about antibiotics, antibiotics and vaccinations. I mean, before that, we just, you know, we didn't have any means of stopping the spread of something other than literally just keeping people apart. Um, so they understood quarantine. You know, quarantine comes from uh, the the French word courant. It, it means it means keeping ships away for 40 days um, if, if there's disease on board before letting people disembark. So they understand that kind of thing. But yeah, in terms of treatment, we're so lucky today. But when it comes to the the research and, and the, the archaeology around all of those things, it's amazing what we can learn from the way in which they dealt with it. Although, I mean, is it true that if you've got a plague cemetery, you don't really want to be doing archaeology in there? We wouldn't see a recurrence of the Black Death from doing some digging, would we? Uh, no, not really. But, um, you know, the plague is still with us. So people die every year from plague. Um, it hasn't gone away completely. It's endemic um, in, in various countries around the world. Um, it tends to be a disease of poverty. Uh, so it does affect countries which have um, a lower standard of living um, and individuals who have a lower standard of living. It is treatable with antibiotics if you get there quickly enough. Um, so, you know, we're, we're very lucky in this country where, with, um, well, a good healthcare system could do with a bit more support, but, you know, we're very lucky in this country. Not everybody around the world has got access to healthcare in the same way that we have. And it's interesting to see how that has developed. I mean, uh, the UK in the Middle Ages um, wasn't quite so united back then, or maybe it isn't even now. But uh, it, it it still had you know, a government uh, that was you know, trying to to beat the uh, these diseases. As, as as you know, you don't want to, your population to die, do you? There wasn't much they could do though. Uh, and when we look at the mortality rates for the Black Death, it is it is chilling. We estimate that between half, uh, between a third and a half of the European population was wiped out in the 14th century Black Death. It's quite sobering, isn't it, to think that something's sweeping through, you're going to lose half of your friends and family in one fell sweep. It must have been utterly, utterly terrifying to live through. Yeah, I mean, we've lived some through yeah, weird times that we were never expecting in our lifetimes, uh, let alone something which is as you know, terrible as that and with absolutely no way of curing it, as you say, other than keeping people apart. But how do you live if you're not working together? Yeah, well, I, you know, it just it did just spread. It spread very, very quickly. Once it got a once it got a foothold in Europe, it spread across Europe. And and we're finding that with earlier plagues as well. What what's exciting about 
writing about this subject at this particular time is that we've got amazing insights now from genetics. So we can use ADNA, ancient DNA, to make precise diagnoses of disease in the past and on skeletons that show no signs of disease. So, for instance, with the plague, it's going to kill you. If it, you know, very often kills you within days. Uh, that's not going to leave a mark on your skeleton. So when somebody like me, an osteologist, looks at those bones, I can't tell that the person had plague when they died. Uh, but my colleagues, the geneticists, the archaeogeneticists, can take samples from teeth and bone, and they can basically use similar techniques to the techniques we use to keep track of COVID. So um, PCR, which everyone's heard of now, uh, to amplify DNA and then sequencing. Um, and what they can do is they can sequence uh, the DNA and, and see if there is any pathogen DNA in there. So this is how we've been able to say that the Black Death was this, is the plague. It is Yersinia pestis. It's the, it's the bug that was first identified in the um, East Asian outbreak of plague in the 19th century. Uh, and what we also know is that the Justinianic plague, which starts in the 6th century in the Byzantine Empire, is the same thing. Um, so once again, it's Yersinia pestis. And what the DNA has shown that we absolutely didn't know before was that the Justinianic plague reached Britain. So we don't have, as far as you know, as far as we know at the moment, we have to go back now and have really carefully looked through the meagre historical records that we've got. Um, we haven't got documents saying that the Justinianic plague reached Britain, but we've now got evidence of um, of that plague in sixth century burial sites in Britain, um, including one that is actually an active piece of research in the book, because I thought, hang on a minute, I think a, I think a site that I worked on years ago might be one of these plague sites. Um, and we have managed to isolate um, Yersinia pestis DNA from that site. So we've got the, the second um, identified site with, with plague pathogen in the sixth century. So, I mean, this research, I mean, it tells us things about human movement that we hadn't realised before, potentially, uh, and, and and certainly a depth of story, which just we couldn't have picked up on without this amazing DNA evidence. Yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? I mean, it's telling us about disease, but as you say, it's also telling us about human movement as well. So we can track migrations by looking at the DNA of a population um, in one century and then look at, look and see how much it changes in the in the um the, the next few centuries. And we're mm -hmm. we're spotting some really big signs of migration. Um and I wrote about that in the first of the trilogy ancestors in the in the bronze age in britain we see a new culture coming in it's called the beaker culture people are often buried with with pots with beakers um and we now know from the genetics that this was a big wave of people coming into britain um in the third millennium bce so four and a half cent four and a half millennia ago it, it's five minutes on the planetary front forever in our terms of uh, reference ourselves. And, uh, you know, when it comes down to time and the like, I, I'm going to guess we're not far off around the same age. You're probably a little bit younger than me. But uh, I certainly remember the rising of the Mary Rose. Uh, however, the the singing of the Mary Rose was, uh, is another area that gets touched on in, the, in these books. Yeah, I remember it well. It was it was a phenomenon, wasn't it? I was a I was a kid watching it on Blue Peter. Mm -hmm. Um and um when I was writing the book, I had the um immense privilege of, you know, going down to the Mary Rose Museum that I visited before, but um having a having a great chat with Alex Hildred, who um is such a wonderful woman. She she was um one of the divers on the Mary Rose before they mm -hmm. lifted it. Um and she's still there at the Mary Rose Museum. 
Um, and when I, I'm, I've got a gig down in, in Portsmouth, I'm taking my book tour down to Portsmouth. And um, I know that Alex is coming along to that. So I'm in, I'm going to get her up on the stage and interview her a bit because, uh, yeah, she's she's kind of a link back to that moment when that incredible Tudor ship was raised from the depths of the Solent, um, which was, yeah, it was amazing, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. But bringing all sorts of secrets with it, which have helped with your research too. Mm. Well, going back down to the Mary Rose Museum, I, I had a look at the skeletons and actually with with Alex and um, the the other curator there at the Mary Rose Museum, we decided to launch a new research project this summer. And so that's I love that when, you know, I'm, I'm writing a book which is about research that has already been done, but then it actually starts a new research project as well. Right, it's going to be uh, interesting to see what other bits you share as you uh, make your way around the country. As we say, you're at Birmingham Town Hall. It is Monday the 26th of February. Lots of other gigs up and down the country as well. But uh, it's going to be well worth checking that out. Uh, books can be bought on the night as well as in advance? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, so they, they, yeah, we have a, um, a lovely independent bookseller coming along on the night and I will be signing books too. So um, do come along, get yourself a book and mm-hmm. listen to some gruesome tales from the Middle Ages. Going to be good fun. I'd say that at least three books, I think, is what you should be aiming for if you haven't got the originals in the set already. Well worth getting uh, your hands on all of that, enjoying a bit of history and seeing what our forebears endured as far as their health went and uh, everything else that goes with it. Well, uh, you can get all the details uh, via your website, I take it, to be able to book tickets too? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, aliceroberts.co.uk. Um, and there's a link there to the tour. So yeah, give it a Google as well if you're having problems with that. But for now, uh, Professor Alice Roberts, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now, when it comes to looking after our families and our homes, it's important we make sure we don't do anything daft with our gas supply. Uh, to tell us more about how some grandparents could be not behaving quite as well as they could, I'm joined by Rob Devon from the Gas Safe Register and also by Tony Blackburn. Good afternoon to you both. Hello, thanks for having us on. Good, Good to have you here. Now, first of all, Tony, I mean, as a grandparent yourself, uh, you're not falling in the category with some DIY with a gas gear, are you? You're not doing that, please tell me. No, not at all, not at all. I, I mean, I have my gas boiler serviced every uh, year, around about September time, ready for the winter, and um, just to make sure that everything's all right, because I think I think most people, you know, are aware that you've got to be careful of gas, but to have the gas boiler working properly is very important and uh, particularly the hubs as well not just the gas boiler but the hubs that you cook on if you've got a nice blue flame and no yellowness about it then that's a good sign and also if you can um, listen to the gas boiler as well if it's making a funny noise it probably means that it needs fixing and also if you're feeling nausea a bit nauseous and um, you know you're feeling a bit sick you could have a carbon monoxide leak i mean we're not trying to scare people uh, all we're trying to do is to make people aware of it and if you do have any problems, there's, there's uh, help at hand. Uh, you can go to gassaferegister.co.uk or you can call 0800 408 5500. So there are various ways you can, you, you know, you can keep everything safe. But it's really, really important. I think we take the gas boiler for granted like we do a car, you know, and when mm-hmm. the car breaks down, you get the, one of the services or you take it into a garage. The same same with a gas boiler. You've got to make sure it's working well, particularly with gas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, Robert, uh, carbon monoxide being a silent uh, killer and the fact that uh, it's got to be somebody who is registered and you know is gas safe to be able to do the work on the boiler. Yeah, it's very important. So, um, look, if you're trying to find a, a gas engineer, 
word of mouth is often a starting place for most people and that's that's brilliant because somebody's had a good experience but do take their details and check them on our website so www.gassaferegister.co.uk either pop their registration number into the screen or use the find an engineer feature which uses your postcode and it'll bring up a list of locally qualified engineers um the part of this campaign is about staying safe with gas so this is about identifying what unsafe gas looks like so we take these appliances for granted we expect our boiler to click on in the morning when we wake up we've got a nice hot house and we've got hot water and you know we've got a, a hob there that we can cook on but would you be able to identify what unsafe gas looks like so a nice keen blue flame on your gas hob is what you're looking for not a floppy yellow flame it might sound peculiar, but you get to know the sounds in your house, the creaks that it makes is makes and the noise that your appliances make when they come on. So listen to those appliances. And if you find or you hear that your gas appliance, your boiler is making a different noise to what you'd expect it to, it could be a sign that something's starting to fail. Mm -hmm. Get your appliances serviced and maintained. Try and do this regularly is the best way. So annually is the best time to do it. And Antonio, I'm going to guess that you're, you you did a good job on on the blue flame thing. I think soot is an issue as well, isn't it? Because if it's not burning completely, we more like to get bits of carbon. So uh, uh, soot buildup is an issue. Yeah, you've got to watch for that, haven't you, Rob? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, uh, soot buildup around appliance would be an indication of incomplete combustion. So again, yeah, you'd need to uh, act promptly and get that appliance checked. Carbon monoxide would be um, a, well. Carbon monoxide is a poison. Um, so if you've got an appliance that's giving incomplete combustion, you could have carbon monoxide in the property. So it's knowing the symptoms of carbon monoxide poisoning, often confused with flu or perhaps a heavy night out, headaches, nausea, dizziness, breathlessness, extreme cases, you've got collapsing and loss of consciousness. So if you have got carbon monoxide poisoning or somebody you feel is exposed to carbon monoxide, they need fresh air. You need to get them outside, open doors and windows. You need to call uh, medical attention and the gas emergency uh, telephone number 0800 Yeah, Tony, when we were uh, talking to our seniors, and you, you're just a couple of years older than me, uh, we, we also concern about seeing ID cards too, but everyone on the gas safe register carries theirs with them, don't they? Uh, they used to. I, I I don't know if they still yeah, do they, now. Not, they, do. they do. They do, Tony, yeah. Everyone's got an yeah. ID card there with a picture on. Yeah. Yeah, that's important, isn't it? You don't want to let uh, anybody into your home, no. But uh, no, that's no, right. I, yeah, and the thought of that. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I I have a a plumber who's registered to do the gas, so he's he always comes around. So obviously, I know him. I've known him for years, and uh, so he he doesn't actually show his pass. But um, no, it's important if you don't know yeah. somebody, you don't want to let anybody into your house, no, mm -hmm. particularly nowadays. But yeah. Uh, yeah, that's important. That's a good mm -hmm. good point that. And, well done, Jason. You should be, you should be on this with us. I do my best. But I mean, as we speak, I mean, you've got the gold discs on the wall that uh, look back on your career and things. I can't see a carbon monoxide detector at the moment. That will be near your boiler. I'm going to take it. Uh, yes, the boiler isn't up here. I'm upstairs in a, in a very small small room. I don't think it would be necessarily suitable for it up here. No, it's downstairs. But I have checked it today. I've listened to it, and it's all sounding great. And um, you know, there's no there's no messages saying that it's, it's wrong. I've also checked the hub. Believe it or not, I have. I'm a very sad person. I checked the hub on the way up, and there's a lovely blue flame there saying I'm feeling great today. <laughs> Keeping <laughs> these things bright is important. But okay, yeah. uh, who's going to give me the details again to remind us where we can find out more from the gas safe register and find the right appliance engineer for us? Well, I think probably Rob will do that. He's the real expert here. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Tony. So. 
Our website is www.gassaferegister.co.uk. We also have a um, fantastic team, customer service agents, who are happy to take your calls on um, 0800 408 Lots of information on our website, so please do uh, do find time to go on to that. Well, Rob Devon from Gas Safe Register and Tony Blackburn, thank you both for joining us. Thanks for inviting us. Thank you very much indeed, Jason. Thank you. That's all for this week. Thank you so much for joining me back with episode 763 next week. I'll see you then. To for now. Goodbye from the milk bar. 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 Yeah. Goodbye from the milk bar. Yeah.